Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. Welcome to our Life Group Sunday. It's so good to be in the house of God with you all together. Today is a special day. Over the next three Sundays, we're going to focus and turn our attention to all things discipleship. And we're kicking it off today here at um, all our locations here in Melbourne and across our locations overseas and even in Perth and Hobart, focusing on life groups. And I just want to extend a warm welcome to all of you. As we get going, I just want to invite a few people who have been legends in the faith, who have been a great blessing to the body of Christ, and even particularly here at City Location. So I want you to put your hands together and welcome some amazing people. As I call them out, they're going to come up and join me here on platform. I want to invite Dr. Alan Meyer. I want to invite Pastor Simone Tanner. I want to invite Pastor Steve Alfin. And Dr. Beckfield, come on, let's put our hands together. Let's give them a big, warm welcome. Awesome. You're in for an exciting time. It may look different, but it's going to be powerful. So buckle your seat belt and lean in. Take notes and, and, and record this thing in your heart, not on the phone, okay? We're in for a great time. Dr. Allen, so good to have you in the house. You are such a blessing to the body of Christ. You and Helen Meyer have been such a blessing to the body of Christ here in Australia and around the world for decades. And I want to grow old like you, full of faith, full of wisdom, except the hair. But we love you. Over the last few decades, you and Helen have really blessed the body of Christ through um, Careforce Life Keys and the impact it's had on tens and thousands of people across thousands of churches both in Australia and around the world. And it's our joy and privilege that you are plugged in here at Numa, and we get to call you our brother and sister. So um, I want to ask you a a question right off the bat. Um, When done right, how are life groups central in fulfilling the Great Commission? Well, the Great Commission is a a huge and an amazing thing. Um, It's even bigger than the one that we normally connected to, go and make disciples in all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teach them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Jesus, when uh, he was describing his job description, he said, um, I'm here to preach good news to the poor, bind up broken hearts, um, open prison doors for those who are bound, uh, show freedom to the captives. And uh, the power of that demands relationship. Um, Just getting into a small group uh, doesn't guarantee that that'll be uh, a good thing unless that group is led well. Um, The oldest book in the Bible is the book of Job. And one of the key stories or one of the key issues in the book of Job is how unhelpful a group can be when they don't know what they're doing or how well they're led. And it's one of the reasons we're excited that over these last two weeks, Helen and I, have been embracing our first training experience of uh, facilitators and small group leaders right here uh, at uh, NUMA. And I I wanna tell you, it's wonderful because we feel like we've found a home for the first time in the last 12 years. And uh, you really need it, you know. Um, We invested 27 years of our life 
And we've been kind of wandering ever since, and we've now found a home. And I can't tell you how grateful we really are. Um, one, of the great, uh, one of the great keys of making disciples is recognizing that we, learn we don't just learn cognitively and we don't just simply learn with academic downloads of information. The mirror neurons in our brain uh, are there by virtue that we are designed in the image of the God who does life face to face. From all eternity, Father, Son and Spirit do eternal life face to face. And we learn so much from the vibe, from the words others say, from the look on their face, the way they react to our cries and our needs. And um, we are relationship beings. And as a result, the Bible says that one of the great keys to church life was that every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, fivefold ministry, apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, teachers. But then they broke bread house to house in their homes and they ate with gladness and sincere, uh, in sincere hearts. Because that's the, the other side. It's not simply an academic download. It, church is not just an educational environment. It's a relational environment, home by home. And it's in those environments that we learn so much about how much we're cared for, how much we're loved, um, how do we react, how do we respond to situations because uh, we learn face to face. And I'm so grateful that uh, we have found a home right here in Yuma. Awesome. That is such an encouragement, Dr. Allen. Thank you so much. How many of you know this man, Pastor Steve Alfin? Everybody, everybody loves him in this church. He's been part of this church for the last 20 years, I believe. And uh, when I came into this church six years ago, he was one of the first people who made me welcome and helped me connect into the life of this church. And look where my life has gone because of your ministry. Pastor Steve, tell us, how are life groups serving and fulfilling the vision that God has given to this house? And you know, when people hear 200 churches, 200 cities, discipling, carrying a spirit of revival and discipling cities and nations. How is that being translated and fulfilled in a life group setting? Great question, Pastor Joe. Disciples. Hey, without disciples, there is no church. Like the first um, Christians were actually called disciples before they were called Christians. Um, and our vision is to plant 200 human churches across four global apostolic hubs that disciple cities and nations, carrying that spirit of revival. Now, this is the vision that we see on the walls, we see in our pamphlets, but it's not just words on, on a wall. Everything that we do as a church is just leading towards that. And we're all playing a part in that. And the place, one of the primary places where disciples are made, where people are becoming more and more like Jesus, learning and sharpening one another is in our life groups. In our life groups, we see people just being, just growing. Um, we all have gifts. Everyone has gifts from God. But in our life groups, it's a great place where to grow your gift, to serve others, a place to exercise that gift. Yeah. You know, when I look back, a few years back, and I see Pastor Joel, uh, who is now planted Numa Hobart, him and I were sitting on a table in a life group, um, coffee group years ago, both working in the corporate world, but through what happens in life groups, both of us have found our calling. Not to say everyone's gonna plant a church, but what you bring into a life group setting with your gifting is gonna sharpen, is gonna grow others. So it's the birthing place for churches that are just gonna change this world and just see the Great Commission fulfilled. So good, I love this man and I love the passion you carry. Dr. Beck Field. Dr. Beck is our in-house doctor. 
Whenever you have health issues, you, you come to Dr. Beck. <coughs> Dr. Beck, uh, you've been on team for the last few uh, months. You, you came in at a time during the, the lockdowns and all that. Um, in your ministry, um, even before you came on staff, you've been building and making disciples in a, a home setting, in, in the comfort of your home or in the setting of your home. Tell us, how do life groups add, um, you know, how do life groups help us develop uh, emotionally, spiritually, and even psychologically? Yeah, well, life groups are just good for us because we are wired for connection. It's in our biology. We need connection to thrive spiritually, emotionally, mentally, and even physically. Neuroscience tells us that how connected we are actually affects the way our brains grow and develop. And behavioral science tells us that the more connected we are, the more likely we are to achieve the goals and objectives of our lives. And get this. <laughs> A great predictor of longevity of life is how connected you are. Wow. So if you want to live long and prosper, join a life group. You heard the doctor. It's exactly what the doctor prescribed, so sign up today. Here's your opportunity to live long. Pastor Sim. Hey, Pastor Joe. So good to be with you here, and um, what a wonderful couch. What a wonderful group of it's people. Good, that was a great video, too, of the life groups. Yes, it is. Wasn't We've that awesome? Some great life they groups. They were real life life groups. Yes. Like, they are genuine life groups. So they, cool. They were not just done in the studio. We actually no. sent him. <laughs> Pastor Sim, your cool. life has seen so many seasons of ups and downs, of mountains and valleys. But one of the things that's been consistent has been your walk with God, your relationship and your devotion to the things that are important in God's heart. Um, how has your life been uh, impacted and nurtured in the life group setting? In a lot of ways, I can't just sum up in, I've got 30 seconds, but as you've already heard today um, from the guys on our panel, there is a number of ways that life groups disciple us. And I would say that it is a foundation of my discipleship to be involved in a life group. And uh, there's been seasons where I've needed um, a support network, a more intimate support network, people to pray for me on a more personal level. There's been seasons where I've been working through some of my theology and we've been able to open the Word of God together and hear from wise people, from older people, from people who've also navigated that theology. So there is a number of ways that Life Group uh, have, have meant so much in my own life, in my own discipleship. And then I minister out of that as well. It's not just been a place that has been ministered to me, but I minister to others. And um, life groups have played an integral part in that. Thank you so much, Pastor Sam. Hey, how, how blessed are we to have such amazing people who champion and who live it, who, who walk the talk. So can we put our hands together? And even as they take their seats, can we just put a round of applause for the, these amazing people? Thank you so much for joining us. How are we all doing? Hey, before we um, proceed with our um, message, I just want to honor a, a group of people here. You might not recognize them, but they're sitting right next to you in the same aisle in the same row. If you're a life group leader, can I just ask if you could please stand up in this place? If you lead a life group of any sorts anywhere in this, come on church, let's put our hands for these guys. These guys are the real deal. We love you. We honor what you're doing. You are a blessing to this house, to this city, and to this nation. You may take your seat. 
Over the last two years, we all found ourselves in a very unique situation, unique set of circumstances. And I'm happy to report here that these people who stood up here, life group leaders, they took the challenge. They loved on the people. They did what God had asked them to do. They built their community. They preached the word of God in season and out of season. They prayed for people. They cared for others. I can tell you story after story of how people's lives have been transformed because of the obedience and of the great work that God is doing in and through your life. So we honor you for that. All right. Let's turn to the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Father, we thank you for your word. Today, we, your sons and daughters, sit under an open heaven. We want to hear from you and you alone. We want to be founded on these words. We want to build our lives on these words. And God, we thank you and we know heaven and earth will pass away, but these words will never. So come, Lord, do your work in this place. The work that man cannot build, but only the hands of heaven and the hands of God can build. And so, God, we pray as the, the word of God is open, open our hearts. Let this word fall on fertile soil. And transform our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. For 14 years, I grew up in Saudi Arabia. Those were the 14 formative years of my life. I didn't sign up to be raised in that place, by the way. Part of how I look is a symbol of where I grew up. And at times people have said, are you from a Muslim background? No, I'm not. But I grew up in Saudi Arabia, one of the most oppressive places on planet Earth where you can be a Christian. Never in those 14 years I had an experience where I could sit with fellow believers like this. Never did I have an experience where I could participate in amazing worship like this. Never in those 14 years did I get an opportunity where I could speak and hear the wisdom and counsel of amazing people who sat in this panel. But I'll tell you one thing that I had. We had life groups. We had home meetings. We had an army of people who were willing to put their neck on the line, who were willing to resist the, the condition of that place. And they were able to meet together in their homes in accordance with the scriptures. They were able to hold steadfast to the words that God had given to them. They smuggled Bibles through various means. Bibles in my house were smuggled and held inside mattresses and kitchen pots. It was held in all kinds of places that you couldn't even find it. Our homes have been raided so many times by, by the religious police, I've even forgotten count. 
But I remember this one thing as a little boy growing up. My father would open this Bible. And he would read it out and he would teach the people who were bold and courageous in the, in the midst of adversity and in the midst of persecution. And they learned God's word. And they built their lives on God's word. And they built their families around God's word. And they built their everyday lives around the truth of the Bible. They were not ashamed. They were not afraid. They could not be intimidated by the circumstances. And what that did to me is you may ask, what good, does it, what good comes out of Saudi Arabia? Does anything good comes out of Saudi Arabia other than oil, you may ask? I did. Yeah. Hundreds and hundreds of people who are serving in ministry today, even through that season of trial, because they were founded on this. Because they chose to become disciples. Because they said, we want to be disciple and we want to disciple even if it costs our life. And that is the power of this gospel. That regardless of your circumstances, governments come and go, laws come and go, people come and go, pandemics come and go. But if you are founded on this, you will stand through eternity. The words and the application and the experience that I, I sat through as a little kid, not understanding what was being spoken or preached, but it helped me and shaped me, even to ministry today. I have witnessed firsthand the direct correlation between someone's spiritual growth and their willingness to participate in the discipleship process. Every historical move of God has been precipitated with the intentional and organized discipleship of people. For example, in the Methodist movement of the 18th century, John Wesley took an initiative where he organized the, the discipleship of new converts. John Wesley had this to say, the church changes the world not by making converts, but by making disciples of Jesus. This very church, Numa Church, can trace its roots back to the living room of a man by the name Seal Greenwood in the western suburbs of Sunshine in 1916. Yes, lots of good comes out from the western suburbs. <laughs> Hard to believe, but true. The same was true for the early church. After the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, the disciples committed themselves to being discipled and discipling others. And you read that even on the very first day when the Holy Spirit poured out and hit that room, 3,000 people were added to the number. The blueprint, Acts chapter 2, gives us a glimpse into the defining characteristics, the DNA of the early church. And I have news for you. That very blueprint is available to us as a church, to us as disciples. And even as we disciple people, that very blueprint is available to us. Firstly, the early church believed in Jesus together, not in isolation of one another. Verse 44 says, and all those who believed were together and had all things in common. Look to your neighbor with a smile on your face and say, together. It's weird, people have forgotten how to look people in the eye and say together. <laughs> Don't worry, it's not a screen. Look to someone and say together. Tell them we are in this together. 
We live in an increasingly individualistic and isolated society where it's all about how I look and I feel and what I want and how I project myself onto others. It's all about me. You can be anyone you want to be. You can be a unicorn. You could be a, 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 a flying dwarf or you could be anything. It's all about me. No, it's not. And sometimes that kind of thinking can creep into the church. It's true. We live in the world, but we are not meant to be of the world. And when that creeps into the church, people think, well, I go to church, I sit, I warm that chair, and I go. No, that's not how we do church. That's not how Jesus meant us to be the body. It's not I came, I saw, I left. I came, I saw, I participated. I engaged. I was in it. I was part of it, and I am building it together. Together. God never wanted you to be an individual appendage or a little satellite like Sputnik lost in space, floating all by yourself. No, that's not how God wanted you to be. The church, the body of Christ doesn't resemble a large octopus with a big blob head and, and a few tentacles moving around. But the bride of, of Christ, the body of Christ resembles a beautiful bride. When we come together like this, the bride is beautiful. When we come together and pray, it is beautiful. When we open up these altars and when we pray for one another, it is beautiful. When we lean into the word and become doers of the word, the bride is beautiful. Together. We are in it together. If it takes a village to raise a child, it takes the church to raise up a disciple. Another metaphor of the church is family. And one of our kingdom culture values here at Numa Churches, church is a covenant family. But some of us get spooked by the word family. And no fault of ours, we've gone through negative experiences of family, broken family, splintered family, and even in our society, with the splintering of the family unit, we come and we approach. The minute we hear the word church, come in family, you get spooked. But that's not what God designed it to be. That's not what God intended it to be. When we bring those broken experiences from the past, we reproduce that in this family. And it is important that as the church, we come together and we guard the family. We protect the family and we build it. Genesis chapter 2 verse 18, God said, It is not good for man to be alone. He wasn't actually talking about you finding someone on christianmingle.com. He was actually talking about that we are hardwired for relationship. Right at the very outset, at the very stage of creation, God had put in our DNA the need for relationship. He hardwired you and me for relationship. You know, the kingdom of this world works on a functional paradigm where it's all about tasks, love things, and use people. And everything revolves around tasks, and whatever time is left over, I give the scraps to anything that is meaningful. But you know, the kingdom of God, everything is relational. God didn't make, a, God didn't make man in his own image because he had some spare time on his hand and spare lump of dust lying there, but he made man in his own image for relationship. There is relationship behind our design. There is relationship behind our purpose of being here. 
And in the kingdom of God, we exist and everything that we do revolves around the purposes of God. With God at the center, all of our life revolves around it, like planets around the sun. Our work, the time we engage with our life, our pursuits, our money, everything that we do revolves around in that relationship with God. Some people live perpetually frustrated in relationships because they approach it with a prism of task, with a prism of function. But that's not how God designed us to be. Over the last two years of homeschooling, at the end of two years, the school put on a big celebration dinner for parents for surviving. <laughs> and all the parents were like talking about, oh, how frustrating it's been. And you know how they've all had to increase the power of their lenses because they've all been on screen. And I was talking to this dad and he said, oh, you work in the church. Oh, yeah, must have been really quiet for you the last two years. I was like, what planet are you from? You're off the reservation. The church has always been busy. The, the church has been on mission the last two years. We at Numa Church have been building the mission, being on the mission and building the vision as God has given to us over the last two years. Lockdown or not, we've been on mission. I could tell you story after story. We've had online conference. We've had an album. We've had hundreds of people being saved, hundreds of people being set free, miracles being normal, and, and the church gathering in prayer, even on an online platform. The church has been on the move. She could not be paused. She could not be locked up because the church is the body of Christ. The church is a counterculture picture of what belonging to covenant family looks like. The church counters the spirit of this world that talks about isolation and individual. The church is the family that Jesus designed and paid with his life. Secondly, being together was one of the defining characteristics of the early church. Acts chapter 1 verse 14. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to pray together. Acts chapter 2 verse 1, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. I sometimes think, imagine you being the guy or the girl who missed out on the day of Pentecost when that infilling of the Holy Spirit happened. There were hundreds of thousands of people in the city of Jerusalem, but only 120 people showed up for this prayer meeting. Can I encourage you, brothers and sisters, let's not miss out on the together moments that we have in God. Be it, be it in, in a life group setting, be it in our prayer and healing services, be it in prayer power, be it in team advance. Wherever God is moving and wherever God's people are joining and coming together, let's be there. Let's be in the center of it. Let it not be an afterthought or if I have time, I'll make it, but let's be intentional about it. Yeah. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 says, let's not neglect to meet together as is the habit of some. I thank God for technology. But I tell you, I will never trade this for sitting in my PJs and an ice cream tub and watching church. <laughs> nope, I will not. And I know you're the same. And that's, how, that's the way we're going to do church, and that's why we're here together. I love that. Do you know the word synergy? It means the joint action of two organisms or entities 
to achieve an effect of something they're not individually capable of. That's what synergy means. Has anyone been to a, a horse pulling competition? Like where they, the horse drags a weight, a massive weight. Has anyone been for a competition like that? Really? <laughs> Neither have I. <laughs> but it's interesting to note that they tie a horse to a massive weight and this horse can pull two and a half tons, 2,500 kilos of weight through the mud, a single horse. And you'd imagine if you tie two horses together, they could do double. But I've got news for you. It defies science. They pull three times the weight. And so they began studying one of the reasons. So there's all things to do with friction and coefficient of friction and all of that. Oh, let me not bore you with that. But one of the main reasons is psychology. Horses are herd animals. They move in groups. When a single horse senses tension or, or a, a, a tension on the loan, it limits itself to what it's actually capable of. But the minute it senses another counterpart, another horse next to it, it puts its heart and soul and it puts everything behind it and the two achieve together what they're not capable of achieving on their own. They end up pulling three times the weight. And that's how it is in church. What you and I are not capable of on our own, when we come together, we move heaven and earth. Where two agree, anything that is said here and agreed here is done in heaven. Whatever is bound here is bound in heaven. Whatever is loosened here is loosened in the heavenly realms. Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 30 says, One can put 1,000 to flight, but two can put 10,000 to flight. When we come together as the body of Jesus, there is a compounding effect of impact and effectiveness in the kingdom. The church is supposed to be more like the coming together of Marvel Avengers rather than lone rangers in the wilderness hiding behind the bush. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 9 says, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. And when one falls down, the other can lift him or her up. And we see that on a daily basis. Thirdly, the early church practiced corporate worship and life group ministry together. Verse 46 here of the passage we read says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. Like two wings of a plane, corporate worship on one end and numerous discipleship on the other help you align and grow and empower you to follow Jesus. What is corporate worship? This. When we come together, we sit together, we worship together, we have moments of welcome, we welcome new people into the family, we have wonders, we have the word, and then we hear what's next, what's happening in the life of the church. That's a corporate experience. And here at Numa Church, we have something called as Numa Discipleship. That's our midweek point where we all come together in our homes or whatever setting in smaller groups, and we learn the Word of God, we meditate on the Word of God, and we devote ourselves to the things of God. And you may ask, what is a life group? Well, simply, a life group is a small group of believers united around the life and teaching of Jesus, and where they devote themselves to practicing God's Word, fellowship, and prayer for the purpose of becoming more like Christ. 
If you're not part of a life group, you're missing out on a fundamental aspect of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. There are six common reasons why people choose or don't be part of life groups. And this is not to condemn any one of us. This is actually preaching to me even as I speak to you. There are six common reasons. The first one is a lack of awareness or, or ignorance. You don't know what you don't know. You came to Numa Church, you saw the brochure, someone signed you up, someone gave you a hug, you sat down, and you left. You didn't know such a thing existed. And Hosea chapter 4 verse 6 says, My people suffer for a lack of knowledge. Can I encourage you, now that you know that such a thing as a life group exists, consider this as your invitation. The second one is busyness. This is the most common reason people give. The trump card that people throw when you ask them, hey, I didn't see you there. What's happening? Well, people are so busy now more than ever before. They're busy. Someone once said, I actually wanted to find out why I'm so busy, but I just couldn't find time. <laughs> we're so busy, we can't even figure out why we're busy. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 16 says, Make the best use of time because the days are full of evil. Let's not be a busy group of people. Let's engage in the things of God because they matter to the heart of God. Not because we have time or not, no time. Let's engage because God said and God's word is the final word. The third thing is offense. Somewhere once upon a time in 1969, someone hurt me in a life group setting, so all life groups are full of the devil. No, it's not. Your experience, as valid as it was, you have an opportunity in Jesus. You have an opportunity in the Word of God. You have an opportunity in the body of Christ to make amends and to move on from there. You can never, ever be held prisoner to what happened 15 years ago, or five years ago, or five months ago. You're a child of God. You have access to the keys and the principles in the Word of God to move on from beyond that point. You have leaders who will help you and help navigate you through, through those seasons. And if you find that it is still raw and hard, start one. You do it. You be the change and you be the difference that you want to see in the world. Stop blaming others for being everything wrong and awry with the world. You be the change. The other issue is pride. I'm just no better than everybody else. Oh, that life group leader, he doesn't know. He uses the King James Version. I like the message translation. Or that person, when they sing, it's like the, the symphony of pigeons, whereas I sing beautiful. Let's not be prideful. Pride doesn't belong in the house of God. Pride doesn't belong in this house. Pride doesn't belong in this family. We have grace and humility whenever we come together as a family. We have grace and humility to learn and, and be taught by one another. The other one is apathy. I just can't be bothered, man. I've got Pilates today. Not me, personally. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 10. A little slumber, a little sleep, and poverty will come upon you. If we slumber spiritually, then our spirits are impoverished. And we miss out on the things that God wants to do in and through us and other believers around us. Don't substitute the things of God with tennis lessons. I'm preaching to someone. 
The other thing is just rebelling, rebellion, being having a rebellious spirit. Acts chapter 3 verse 19 says, repent, turn back. The times of refreshing may come from the presence. You know, not being part of a life group doesn't make you a rotten sinner, but it makes you a weak and vulnerable Christian. The word of God refers to the church, to us as sheep, flock of his pasture. And you know, sheep are most vulnerable when they're isolated and when they stray away from the flock. When we are together, there is safety. When we are together, there is unity. When we are together, the enemy just finds it a whole lot harder to get through to us. When we are together, the body is stronger. And Proverbs 27, 17, I love this. It says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. You know, as bad company corrupts good character, good company overwhelms bad character. When we are surrounded by godly people, the impulses of our flesh just find it tougher. They dissipate and weaken out. The desires of flesh weaken when you surround yourselves with people who call you higher. And that is why we are part and parcel of a life group community. What was the blueprint of the early church? Finally, the early church wasn't leader dependent, but disciple devoted. Verse 42, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. Last week, I heard the story of someone who was saying their car tires were continuously deflating. Every 24 hours, the light would come on, ding, saying low pressure. So every 24 hours, they had to drive it to the service center and have it inflated again. I sometimes think some believers are like that tire. Every few days, they need a leader to pump up their tires. Their vehicle will only be moving down the highway to heaven if a leader is pumping those tires. Only a pastor can pray for me. Only a pastor can read this Bible for me. Only a pastor can tell me, should I do this? Should I do that? Should I go to Sydney or should I go to Perth? Oh, don't go to Perth. Um, <clears throat> only a leader... Only a leader can tell this for me. Only a leader can tell me what's God's will for me. Can I tell you, church, churches become unhealthy when believers see themselves as customers and they see their leaders as dispensers of spiritual goods and services. Churches should never be a spiritual cafe where people line up and say, one soy mocha, double shot, extra hot, half sugar. That's not a church. That's a consumer service. Let's not make the body of Christ as H&M or Davy Jones. Let's keep the body of Christ as the body of Christ, where each one is a member of the same body, where we edify one another, build one another, champion one another, and call one another higher. Ephesians 4.11 says, The fivefold gifts are given to equip saints until we all grow into the full measure and stature of maturity. The end goal of the fivefold ministry that Dr. Allen was talking about earlier when we come together is to equip the saints so that we all grow out to be the best version of Christ in us. Not our best version, the best version of Christ in us. Yesterday was a historic day in our house. Our one-year-old started using a spoon and started feeding herself. I took about 500 pictures to capture that moment like any parent. 
But I can tell you one thing, it would be a source of concern if my eight-year-old still wanted to be spoon-fed. There is a big difference. You celebrate those things, but if you're continuously having to spoon-feed someone, it is a sign of immaturity. Maturity takes responsibility to feed oneself because motivation comes from the inside out, not from the outside in. The church is not about behavior modification. The church is about transformation. Jesus is not about behavior modification. Jesus is about transforming your life. And this is where life groups come in. What must every life group devote themselves to? I loved how Dr. Allen said, well, if you don't devote to the things of God, it's just going to be more cause for concern. First thing you devote yourself to, God's Word. Every life group must focus on God's Word. You focus on the teaching that happens on a Sunday. You focus on the things that build you. And what does God's Word say about it? Not what does my opinion say about it. Or not what my feelings say about it. Feelings come and go. Life groups are not places where we debate the latest conspiracy theory or Netflix documentary. But life groups are a place where we anchor one another in the only word that does not pass away. Secondly, life groups are a place where we devote ourselves to fellowship. Discipleship happens best in relationship. You know, Jesus didn't transfer knowledge in a classroom, but he brought about transformation through relationship with his life. He told the dudes who were mending their nets, follow me and I will make you fishes of men. He wasn't talking about some information or, or a seminar he would give them. He said, follow me. Follow the patterns that I do. Follow my model and you will become something better than just being a fisherman. Nothing wrong with being a fisherman, but they were called to being something better. Jesus was the classroom. His life was the classroom. The third thing that we do in life groups, we break bread. Breaking bread is both the celebration of the Lord's table and it's also a coming together around food. Everything good happens around food, I must say. I strongly believe in that. One of the reasons why I put on so much weight in the last two years over COVID is because my life group members would just keep sending me food every day. And I was forced to eat it all. Couldn't throw it in the bin. God is into food. And the last thing we do in life groups, one of the things, most important things we do in life group is prayer. Prayer fuels power. Nothing is more powerful than the intimacy of life group members coming together to pray together into what heaven wants them to pray together. Praying for one another's needs. We are a house of prayer. We don't pray 15 minutes on a Sunday. We pray everywhere. We saturate the airwaves, the social waves, the media waves everywhere with prayer. We pray in our work. We pray in our car. We pray in the bathroom. We pray in the kitchen. We pray in the office. We pray in our university. We pray everywhere. This is a house of prayer. And the culture of prayer is that prayer is our first response, not our last resort. We don't pray when the house is on fire. We pray every time, everywhere. And in life groups, we pray. I must say, without prayer and a devotion to God's word, life groups just become another social club where you just kill time. It's of no use. It doesn't build anything for eternity.
What does being devoted mean? Being devoted means to give constant focus and attention to something. As the early church took care to give constant focus and attention to God's word, to fellowship, and to prayer, God took care of the wonders. God took care of the favor. God took care of the harvest of souls. When we focus on the things that God wants us to focus, he takes care of everything else. Verse 43 of this the passage we read says, and awe came upon every soul and many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. And verse 47, it says, and they praised God and they had favor with all the people. The Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. Could it be what Melbourne needs and Australia needs and the world needs is not a superhero? but a spirit-filled church that would simply devote themselves to believing in Jesus together, not in isolation, practicing corporate worship together and participating in discipleship and being a disciple of Jesus that gives constant focus and attention to the word, fellowship, and prayer. And when we do these things, he builds the kingdom and it cannot perish. Just like in that country of Saudi Arabia where a few men and women had the courage to committing themselves to become disciples of Jesus, regardless of the overarching circumstance. They change history. They could not be bound up. They could not be silenced or gagged. But they did what God had commanded them to do. And they fulfilled the Great Commission. Of our church of 120 people that met underground for those 28 years. My dad led it for 28 years. Over 60% are serving the kingdom in full-time ministry. Today, we have an opportunity of being in a city and a nation where we have freedom. Our houses are not being blown to bits. There are no bombs flying over our heads. We have the privilege to come and sit together like this without threat or without, without fear. We live in a country where we have freedom to worship Jesus, where we have freedom to come together in homes and surround ourselves with this timeless truth. We have an opportunity to come together and worship, pray for one another, grow with one another. And I want us as brothers and sisters and as the family of God here in this city and this nation to never take that opportunity for granted. If you have never been part of a life group and a body of believers coming together and growing together, today is a great opportunity. Let's not just be hearers of this word, let's be doers. And not because I'm saying or I'm, I'm passionate about it. My prayer is that you would ask God, and even as the worship team comes together and leads us, in a moment of worship, let's just silently focus. God, what do you want me to do with this word? That you would chew the fat and spit out the bones. And that you would ask God, reveal to me what is your heart and purpose for my time. That you would ask God, what do you want him to lead you into? Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Savior. 
The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose again, conquering sin, Satan, and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead, and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.